Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to a special episode. This is our 21st podcast and we are celebrating coming of age by looking back at the amazing characters we have interviewed since launching the series last September. So settle back and relax as we hear a little bit of wisdom and maybe the odd funny story or two from all 20 of them. Some of the podcast episodes I've recorded have been in front of a live audience at Scottish Business Network events in London, others in offices, hotel foyers and people's homes. But probably the most interesting venue so far has been the Library of Mistakes, a fascinating building in Edinburgh's West End. In one of our first episodes, the library's founder, Professor Russell Napier, explained its purpose. The Library of Mistakes is here sort of as an antidote to the traditional teaching of finance. And we are currently a finance business slash orientated library, though that is changing. And that antidote is to say that there is more in heaven and earth that is dreamt of in numbers and decimal points. That the understanding of how finance works and how money works uh, relates to human beings and human behaviour throughout history. And this library tracks that behaviour. Uh, now, you might say that's kind of a maverick approach, but actually it's not maverick at all because it's, we see it as a branch of what is known as behavioural finance. And I think many people listening to this will have read Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, which was a bestseller, amazingly, uh, an economics textbook, which was uh, a bestseller. And all Kahneman's book is about, and his Nobel citation when he got the Nobel Prize, was for understanding human decision-making under uncertainty. To say that the rational economic man may be uh, more of a myth than a reality. Uh, there are other things to look at it. Now, Kahneman approaches that as a psychologist, and there are lots of things we've learned from uh, psychiatry, mm-hmm. psychology that have taught us about these things. We approach it from history and say, well, let us study human decision-making under uncertainty. Now, we have a title, The Library of Mistakes. Uh, clearly, not everybody who makes a decision under uncertainty makes a mistake, but quite a few do. Uh, and this is a library with both, actually. It's not just about mistakes. Man, we have Bill Gates in here, so I'm, you know, no one's going to say Bill Gates is a mistake. We have Warren Buffett in here as well. So this is a way we can... Another way I like to put it is this. It's a great quote from von Moltke, the military strategist, who said that uh, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And Mike Tyson more famously said, everybody has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. And in this library, we have yeah. all the punches in the mouth. So, I mean, it's, it's not about, are you going to get punched in the mouth when you're in business? Yes. Mm. The question is, how do you react? Well, come and study, come and, come and read, come and listen to some of the lectures we have here and be prepared for that punch in the mouth and how, what is the right way to react and what is the wrong way to react. Another very interesting building is set to open in Edinburgh in the coming months with the arrival of a Scottish stock exchange. When I met the man behind it, Thomas Carruthers, he explained one of the many benefits it is set to bring. One of the absolute, absolute systems yeah. interventions we have to make in the Scottish economy. And let's, forget, let's not forget, Scottish entrepreneurship is globally famous. Scotland, yes. Scotland is a country of entrepreneurs of people who are prepared to take risks to build things and do things. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is make sure that in their generation, yeah. the results of their enterprise, the fruits of their enterprise, mm-hmm. are not sold off. And then mm-hmm. all of the intellectual property, all of that work, and in many cases, all of the jobs they created, yes. are gone yeah. and transferred to a different economy. Yeah. That's not, I mean, Scotland will not prosper as an economy unless the fruits of people's enterprise are able to be transmitted across sure. generations. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and I'm afraid that's the structure of the economy right now. You have so, a lot of enterprising people, they build businesses, amazing businesses. Yeah. And they get sold. Yeah. And the capital leaves, the jobs leave, the intellectual property leaves, and the economic activity leaves. The Scottish Stock Exchange was first brought to my attention by George McIntosh, a highly accomplished entrepreneur who I was also delighted to interview. After building his fortunes initially by getting in early to the modem and conference call markets, George here explains the thinking behind Eggplant, his move into software. I thought, right, well, how do you set up a software company uh, that, and, and this time I was determined to scale it, you see, but how do you set it up uh, and scale it, I thought, well, first of all, find a niche, but then it, a niche that's big enough uh, to be a scale-up. Um, so I thought, okay, well, it's uh, B2B. I'm a sort of B2B guy rather than a B2C guy, uh, if you know what I mean there. So, um, you know, business to business, uh, it's, it needs to be so-called enterprise software, but not so big that people will be alarmed at buying from a little company. So... Uh, I found a niche which was in sort of, it's a subset of software development. You know, if you, you build software, you've got to test software, someone's nodding. So I've got, I'm, I'm holding someone's attention here. Stay with me, I'm not going to do a geeky thing. Um, uh, so, but you know, that's important. So every time a bank says we have a glitch, they haven't tested it enough. So if anybody works for a bank, uh, a glitch is where you haven't tested your software sufficiently. And glitches are bad. Glitches are not good. Uh, I also recognize that in 2007, uh, this thing had been introduced, the first uh, iPhone. And I thought, and that's interesting, because people will start to consume software in a different way. And we all consume software on this, by and large. You know, we read the news, we communicate, etc., etc. And, and prior to 2007, that wasn't apparent. Uh, and if you consume, consume software on this, the software that's being delivered to you has got to work on this, but it's also got to work on that. Slightly different format. Uh, and it's got to work in different operating systems. So I thought, oh, so testing is going to be a really awkward thing. That's what I'll do. George has a passion for motorsport, very much shared by Christy Doran, who is building her career on the racetrack after initially winning a competition in the sun to race as a rookie. Here she explains her first significant crash. It was round the first corner of Rockingham, so it's a pretty quick one, and there's a concrete wall coming round the side of it. Yeah. And I looked, just as I was coming into the corner, I looked in the mirror, because a car caught the back of my eye, and obviously going at that speed made such a difference that when I looked back, I missed my turning point by an absolute fraction. And when I turned in, the car just kept wanting to push out, and the next thing you know, it's kind of straight in the wall. Um, so it was a bit of a sore one at the time, right. and it does kind of... Any injuries? No, no, okay. just a wee bit yeah. sore. It just right. felt like all my organs had moved about and went back <laughs> into place. The next thing was horrible. <laughs> um, but no, the car was yeah. in a pretty bad way, you know, it's right. a bit of a, a density confidence and stuff. So it's even yeah. working your way through those things, getting the confidence back in the car. A word of warning for the squeamish, that was not the only time that we were entertained by talk of organs. Businesswoman Sheila Flavel revealed how her outlook was shaped by a tough start to working life in the Glasgow police and trips to the mortuary. I joined the police force in the mid-70s and that was before equal pay was introduced. And when equal pay was introduced, I remember the sergeant, uh, he said, oh, the women can't do the same job as the men. And so he, you know, he wanted to set an example of us. And we were very, very few women at that time in the police force. 
And so he gave us the roughest, worst jobs in the city to demonstrate a point. So he didn't like me anyway, and he didn't like women, but particularly me, for some reason. And I was really young, and I was only five foot four, and in a black uniform, I looked even smaller. So he gave me the, the beat, as we called it then, um, with the city, uh, the, the fish market, Paddy's Market, for those of you who might know, um, the River Clyde, and the city mortuary. <laughs> but being a bit of a survivor, I befriended Jimmy, the mortuary attendant. Did, did you find this intimidating, or did you actually quite like the challenge? <laughs> well, it was called survival, although I didn't realise it at the time. I mean, Glasgow in the 70s was a bit rough and tough to think about it. So I befriended Jimmy, the mortuary attendant. He's since murdered his wife, but that's another story for another night. <laughs> and on the night shift, I'd go down and I'd ring the bell, and he would, he would come. He wore one of those brown coats that Ronnie Barker would wear and he always wrung his hands and he'd unlock all the door and I'd go in with my little hat and I'd say hello Jimmy he'd say I'll put the kettle on and he'd lock it all behind me but being stupid and gullible you know I didn't think there was a threat or that he was going to murder his wife so and he'd say while, while I'm waiting for the kettle to boil let's play a wee game okay Jimmy what we play tonight he said spot the organ. Now, some of you ladies might have been worried, but being really young, innocent and gullible, I didn't even think about it. So he'd take me into the room where the post-mortem had taken place, and there'd be a cadaver on the table, on this steel table with holes in it, and on the side there'd be a bucket full of organs. And the game was, I had to guess what the organs were. If I guessed them all correct, I didn't get a cup of tea because he went in the huff. So I always had to get one or two wrong. <laughs> Another woman who has gone on to achieve great feats in the world of business, in her case resale, is Julie Ashworth. But before that took off, she took part in the first ever round-the-world yacht race and is still building on the experience. You learn. You learn in the moment. You mm. learn a lot about yourself. But you learn a lot about yourself with other people and with teams. Right. And certainly, yeah. with hindsight, you continue yeah. to learn. Yeah. And I always remember uh, Sir Robin Knox Johnson saying, don't let this be the thing that defines you. Don't let the fact that you have sailed around the world be the only thing you do. Make right. it the base thing you do. Okay. And I think that, I've always remembered that, I think um, it's an outstanding thing to have done, mm. I'm very proud to have done it, but it is one of a number of, you know, it's important that it yes. is a one of a number of, of course, yeah. achievements. Yeah, yeah. And that drives me still. Uh, many of our listeners are SME owners and some of the podcasts have particularly chimed with them. Gary Turner, CEO of Software Business Zero, explained how his career has been shaped by how his parents worked hard to keep their business going. I was having a conversation with somebody and I was getting really fired up about an issue and about, uh, I can't remember what specific issue was, it was about a year and a half ago. And I was getting really animated about how important it was that we addressed this issue because a lot of businesses struggled with, with this particular area. It was late payments or something. Mm. And I was like more enthusiastic than I perhaps needed to be. And I, and I, I thought, where does that come from? Where does that like real passion for coming up with solutions to problems for small businesses? It's not just a job. It's not just like a vocation that I happen to be in this category. It's, there's something about it that... Um, really inspires me and really gets me fired up and I think and I worked out I think it, it, it must go back to my my, my my years back at home with my parents uh -huh. and not realizing it at the time but like over the dinner table in the evening and, and hearing my, my parents talking about the business issues of the day or 
a difficult mm-hmm. customer or a supplier that wasn't paying their bills or having to get a facility at the bank or whatever, uh, whatever kind of operational issue, they always get discussed at the, the dinner table. And I would have been this rather uh, disinterested teenager at the time, um, not really that interested in it. I was much more interested in technology and computing, but I think it must have kind of lodged in my, my psyche in some way that um, I, I have this real um, kind of purpose and real focus about helping small businesses. And I think because I I witnessed how hard it is to run a small business firsthand in, mm. in our, in our yeah. family business a long time ago. And, and so I think that's where the passion comes from. And therefore, I think, um, I don't know, I'm trying to right some wrong, trying to stand up for the, for the small business um, because um, nobody else is going to do that. There was similar motivation for Stephanie Robinson, owner of HR Consultancy Solve. She was inspired by her parents' entrepreneurial drive. Her father is Chris Robinson, former chief executive of Hearts FC. Well, mum and dad have always been entrepreneurial and have been in and around that kind of environment. And, and um, yeah, I, on my maternity leave, I was... I think even before Grace was born, sitting, doing business plan and how it would look. And I think it was just seeing the opportunity to help small business owners because dads had owned businesses and knowing how much he puts life and, and energy and starting from nothing into the company really made me, when I was out consulting with these business owners, want to help them and show them that there was ways to get around any problems that they were having with staff. You know, because invariably a business owner feels like, you know, they they've put they've they've maybe forfeited their mortgage for the first six months of their of their business new business life. They've put their family under strain, some of them, or or you know some and and they they work long hours and mm. and sometimes when a member of staff comes in and they pay them, and bearing in mind the essence of an employment relationship is pay for work. When people don't work or they take the mech or they go off on sick, people naturally feel hard done by when mm-hmm. you've put everything on the line for it for that to allow yourself to employ people. Children can be an inspiration too. When Poonam Gupta arrived in Greenock from India, she couldn't get a job, so she started her own business from home, trading in paper. She has been incredibly successful, running a large business in the town she has warmly embraced but has also had to overcome serious illness. This is what she drew from the experience. Learned from that is that life is too short. And we need, I appreciate the very fact that I'm alive. And Mm. my children are now 13 and 11. And they're wonderful girls. And my business is doing well. I work harder than, you know, I've ever worked before. And I also love spending time with them. I'm just grateful to be here. And I believe that one thing we learned, I have learned from that is, is because life is too short, then we also must appreciate our today and hope for and live for better tomorrow, but also enjoy your today. Meanwhile, Hannah Taylor's media business, She Is Fierce, is inspired both by her childhood and that of her daughter. You have this, these bolshy kids, um, you know, like they're going about and they're deciding what they're wearing for the day and they come through and they're like, Mummy, Daddy, look what I'm wearing. And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> like, what are you thinking? But then as soon as they go into high school, they they had this it's like they they get stripped of all of that and it's all about conformity and not mm. standing out um and and yeah and i think that was i think that's essentially what 
struck the chord with so many people. Conformity and change have been big themes in the podcast. Simon Skinner spoke with charming self-deprecation about his initial thoughts about moving from the private sector into running the National Trust for Scotland. And I made a fatal mistake. I thought that, I know, I'll go and work for a charity because that's putting something back. Okay. And I think in, in thinking that, what I've experienced is you are, you know, you're sort of um, diminishing the quality of the people that come in here and work hard every day for less money mm-hmm. than you might have expected. The reality is um, the trust... Uh, had been underinvested and under-supported for a long time, but the people here were lovely and right. very hard-working, and I think they must have thought, what a complete plonker he is, when he's <laughs> saying he's going to put something back, you know, like a great white knight. Right. Actually, so, um, that wasn't, that right. wasn't to be. However, um, the, it was very quick, for me it was very easy to identify that when you peeled back mm. the finances of the trust, it had gone through a very rough period in 2008-9, close to bankruptcy. It had brought everything into a central command and control, and nothing was decided, and very little was being spent, and everybody was very risk-averse. But the real risk was staring them in the face, and that has been since about 2008 until when I joined 2014, so 2015, right. there'd been a steady decline in visitation, sure, yeah, yeah. and in particular, therefore, paying visitors, gate receipts, secondary spending. Mm-hmm. And so slowly over time, the only way to balance that would be into the reserves. Mm. The reserves are about six months operating cash, and then the rest is, um, there's 200 and odd million in investments, but about 80% is restricted, even to the extent of right. the income. Yeah. And so there hadn't been a lot of investment. There were no systems supporting what they were trying to do. They weren't capable of supporting major capital spend. Yes. And yet they needed to do something that was interventionalist and um, disrupt- disruptive to the model. Adele Harris is another smart character operating in the third sector, and she told us about how she has transformed Cornerstone, which provides support for adults, children and young people with disabilities. We've not really stopped changing in the the last 11 years. Um, I'm sure when I walk into a room at the start of a new three-year planning cycle, people must go, oh, God, not again. But I think it's the type of industry and work that we do that you, you just can't stand still. You have to change constantly and react to your environment um but it's difficult isn't it i think we all probably know that there's lots of people who are really resistant to change Mm. and um what i've found over the years is it's the hearts and minds that win people over not the facts and figures Mm -hmm. and all too often we try and present an argument in terms of data or financial and we say this is why we have to change and i've just worked out really that actually getting people's hearts and minds and getting them on board right you know in that way uh, makes it easier taking inspiration from others but adapting it for your own use has also cropped up in a number of episodes including memorably from rona bailey explaining how the funds for the wonderful prince and princess of wales hospice in glasgow were raised I looked all over the world actually who's done a massive capital appeal and we came across a, a lady in london that we went to see who'd done an 87 million pound appeal um, we learned a lot of lessons from her because capital appeal fundraising is not like revenue fundraising. Um, we got a great strategy in place and then on the way up in the train from London, mm. um, we were talking about some of the language she used and some of the things that she'd been telling us right. and we came up with this term that has stuck with us and we've laughed about it the whole four or five year period. 
we'll need to Ouija-ize this. <laughs> right. It was really funny. So we called it Capital Appeal Fundraising, the Ouija way. Right, and right. it's interesting because that's right. stuck and now we're getting people um, from all over the world actually really? contacting us and they understand what this term is and that was <laughs> us basically making it our own. As with George McIntosh, many of the people I've interviewed have had the knack of spotting a niche and launching a business to fill the gap. One example is bid specialist Andrew Morrison and his business, appropriately called AM Bid. Well, I would say we add value to their business. Okay. Even more than just to their bids and tenders because we are bringing business experience, we're bringing expertise. We are working for companies large and small right across the UK and Ireland. And for example, on a bid, health and safety might be a question on a bid or customer care might be a question or training might be a question. Well, we actually write bids just about these subjects. So we're able to really bring sure, yeah. Uh, yeah. quite a lot of extra. Mm. And we also um, advise them even around the tactics of bidding, around the clarification questions that they mm. can ask to level the playing field. Because often there can be a situation where they are pricing what, what they think the buyer is looking for but actually they've put more bells and whistles on it than the buyer is looking for right. or that the other bidders are, are pricing. So we can flush all that out mm. to get to a level playing field, right. which brings the prices closer together and makes it more likely then that the bid will be won or lost on its quality. Mm. Another smart opportunist is Claire Campbell, reinventing tartan and bringing weaving back to the Scottish mainland. I mean, we create loads of amazing cloths in Scotland and, you know, tweeds and plain cloths and jacquards and you, you, a whole range of stuff and they're not all necessarily have to be a tartan design but for me I just couldn't get over why every piece of tartan cloth woven kind of looked the same in terms right. of its weave construction yeah. and mm-hmm. and the kind of generalisation of well this is how we've always done it and I respect that because I can see how it comes about but for me to be able to really have some sort of influence over that um, R&D side of things was I had to have my own facilities so yeah, we were probably going to be the first business in a long time in Scotland to actually not buy a business that mm. was sadly going into administration. Um, we were starting from scratch. We were taking back this this industry to the Highland region, um, which, you know, the last mill that operated was 20-plus years ago, right. Hunter's Brora, which is a significant mill, you know, and it unfortunately closed down. Mm. So, you know, up until we started in the spring, there has been no mill in the mainland for, yes, I say, over 20 years. So despite it being the Highland dress and most of the kind of romantic stories, and certainly from an export perspective, there's, you know, it's heavily linked with the Highland of Scotland. We weren't producing anything. We've had some cracking anecdotes too. Here, Alistair Gray, who has achieved incredible success transforming UK sport, recalls interviewing Roy Keane shortly after the fiery footballer had angrily deserted the Irish World Cup team. Yeah, well, I think I'm probably one of the few people to have interviewed him for two hours and lived. Right. <laughs> um, and he was, he was very interesting. He, he's got a digital switch, you know, and you could see how he would explode one way or, or, mm. or the other. But he was very measured in his review. And I think it was probably summed up right at the end when um, he, he, he somewhat... He's got a nice degree of arrogance, uh, which is actually quite attractive in some ways. And he said, well, I suppose everybody's learned a lesson from all of this, Alistair. And I remember thinking to myself, do I have the courage to say, so what were your lessons learned Mm -hmm. on Roy? So I did. Mm -hmm. And he he rocked back with laughter 
Uh, and they said, oh, I set myself up for that. And I said, yeah, you did. You're going to answer it as well. So he said, yeah, I will. He said, I should never have gone. I should right. never have gone right. to the World Cup. I should, put up with all, should have put up with all the hassle. I'd had my worst ever season for Man United. We'd won nothing. Hmm. I was injured. My groin mm-hmm. was needing surgery. I'd been on painkilling injections for half the season. Mm-hmm. I'd kicked Hagland, the Manchester City player, up in the air. Mm-hmm. I was due in court in, in October. Um, what could be worse um, f- for me in terms of last season? the last season? Many of the podcast interviewees have also shared personal expertise with listeners, such as presentation coach Mel Sherwood explaining how to combat nerves. I have a simple equation. More preparation equals fewer nerves. Right. That's, it's as simple as that. And when, we, when I talk about preparation, I don't just mean content. Yeah. I because my background as a performer, it, for me, it's really important. Anytime I'm in in a high stakes situation or I'm, I'm in front of an audience, I do a, a proper preparation of my body and my voice, yes. and, and it's about preparing the mind as well. So and also the environment. And I, I was saying I run a couple of workshops this week in different organisations and uh, one at the business school at Edinburgh Uni actually, but the just understanding and getting an idea about the environment that you'll be speaking in is so right. crucial mm-hmm. because we fear the unknown. Mm. We worry about mm-hmm. the unknown. So the more you can find out about who you're talking to, and that's key for yes. any yeah. uh, effective presentation anyway, but who you're talking to, how many people will be there, mm-hmm. what kind of setup it will be, where you'll be standing, is it a big formal event or is it a, a more casual thing, will you be standing or will you be sitting around a table, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where, are you, where are you going to put your equipment or what equipment will be available, are you using a clicker, is it your equipment, do you have to use someone else's equipment, where do you put your glass of water, yeah. all of those sorts of things are really crucial to help you start to, and then I, I, once you know these things, you can start to prepare and then... Yeah. Practice in that kind of with that in mind, but also start to visualize your success in that environment. Okay, yeah. One of the first episodes featured Russell Dalgleish, who, together with Christine Essen, founded the Scottish Business Network. And this podcast series is just a tiny part of the amazing work they are doing to bring Scottish businesses together for mutual benefit. In his interview, Russell explained why it's in everyone's best interest to network and help others. I try to find ways to help someone who runs a business. Now, it can be, um, you know, I, I know I get accused quite a lot of being arrogant because it can be the fact that it's, it's, I, I almost can't control this need. So if I meet someone and they tell me this is what my business does, I'm anxious to offer advice or guidance or thoughts, but that's not requested. So, you know, you've got to get to know someone first until they're keen to do that. Um, so I'm very fortunate because I've, I've had a lot of different experiences and I have very large networks, so I can typically help someone. So um, trying to find a way to help someone, is, it, to me, is the key to business. Because we talk about what goes around comes around, and it does, but it's not linear. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you'll help someone and then they'll help you in some future moment in a different way. And that's, what, that's actually been my, my career's been all about that. Our very first episode gave me the opportunity to interview Tweedy Brown, who, among many other highlights in a fascinating career, was the commanding British officer in Berlin when the wall came down. Here, he distills his experiences into three key lessons. Well, first of all, I would follow my my granny's advice. Um, But it would be to always have an inquiring mind. Be 
relentlessly positive, even in the face of the worst adversity. Um, and to try and see things from the other person's point of view. Mm -hmm. Those three things, I think, have stood me in good stead over the years. What better way to finish than with a poem? Which is exactly what Lorna Jack, Chief Executive of the Law Society of Scotland, did when I interviewed her. And a very fine poem it is. Anyway, by Kent Keith. People are often unreasonable, illogical and self-centred. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you will win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have and it may never be enough. Give the world the best you've got anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and your God, whatever you perceive that to be, it was never between you and them anyway. So that's us. Whoa, a monster episode. And we'll be back again after the summer break. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.